Hello, everybody. This is Noah, and welcome to Change Talk, a podcast where I have conversations with people who are thinking about change and are open to talking about it. In this week's episode, I speak with Mary Lynn Kiefer. Mary Lynn is a mental health advocate and director of Made of Millions Foundation Canada, a nonprofit organization on a mission to change how the world perceives mental health. She oversees all event productions, digital programming, advocacy, and fundraising initiatives taking place in Canada. Today on Change Talk, Mary Lynn talks with me about working on staying present and mindful throughout the Groundhog Day-like existence that is living through a pandemic. Please be aware that this episode contains discussions around sensitive themes such as suicidal ideation and suicidal thoughts. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. And may Mary Lynn's Change Talk, in some small way, inspire your own. Please note that this podcast is not therapy. Please seek professional help if needed. So I am here with Mary Lynn Kiefer from Made of Millions. Thank you so much, Mary Lynn, for coming on and talking to us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so uh, as you said, my name is Mary Lynn Kiefer. I'm actually located here in Toronto, um, which I think is where you are as yes. well. Um, and I mean, a bit about myself. I um, kind of had a bit of a, you know, different path to uh, mental health advocacy, which is what I'm doing now. Um, I studied economics and uh, have my master's in economics and thought I'd be working in the investment banking world and um, ended up taking a different path and, you know, did work in the corporate world for quite some time. And um, I guess in 2016, I started to experience symptoms of OCD um, and that kind of led me to get involved with Made of Millions just based on my experience going through the system, coming up with many challenges um, and really being quite shocked with the mental health care system here in Canada. You know, we, I, I thought, you know, it was probably I knew that from what I had heard in the past that there were wait lists and there were challenges. But when I went through to get help on my own, it became very clear that we were very far behind and kind of, you know, creating a system that worked well. Um, and it was a scary experience. And so after going through that, I decided to kind of really put my attention to um, trying to fix, fix that in any way that I could. So I left the corporate world and got involved with Made of Millions shortly after that. Yeah. And before we sort of ask you a little bit about Made of Millions, just about your own experience. Mm -hmm. um, first, the experience of discovering, because I, I get the sense that people, especially, you know, listening to OCD stories and, and, and the like that just discovering that OCD is way more than you thought it was. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, like as a young child, I had a bit of anxiety and separation anxiety and stuff like that. And so I definitely uh, 
recognized a bit of anxiety in myself throughout my life, different, you know, different flare ups throughout my life, always quite situational. And, um, you know, in 2016, um, when I started to have intrusive thoughts, um, I obviously had no idea that it was OCD. Uh, it was a very scary time for me. How it manifested was, yeah, uh, with intrusive thoughts and then me kind of trying to figure out what that meant about me, what it meant about my character, and really just having that be the sole purpose of my everyday life was to figure that out and to problem solve that. Um, I, I didn't know what was happening. I mean, like I said, I knew that I had experienced a bit of anxiety, but I didn't even tie it to that because the thoughts I was experiencing were felt so real. And so I just really wanted to figure out why I was thinking this stuff. Um, anyhow, it led me down a path of a lot of research and uh, Googling and I realized that what I was experiencing might be OCD, but that was, you know, after a year of really just being completely um, stuck in my head. I just wasn't living my life. I was just problem solving something that wasn't solvable. Uh, I remember I was working at a large law firm um, in back in 2016 and I would close my office door and like be, you know, either obsessively researching or um, writing things down, writing lists to try and figure out what was happening. Um, and so every, every moment that I had where I could just be with myself, it was an opportunity to like really get in my head and, and, and try and figure this all out. But anyhow, like I said, I had no idea it was OCD. I just, there was no like question about, is this a mental health issue? It was just all about why am I thinking about this stuff? Right. Yeah. So it led to a Google search specifically about a thought process coming across, um, intrusivethoughts.org. Yeah. And realizing like, oh, hey, this might actually be OCD. And so when it got so bad uh, to the point where I just felt like I couldn't function anymore, I was just totally like, there was no light. I had no light. You were lost was, in the world of your head. Like it was you yeah. were an alternate dimension of, of your thought world. Yeah, exactly. Like I'd be yeah. walking home from work and I, you know, I just didn't see anything around me. It was just all like I was trapped. And so I eventually reached out to my sister and just said to her, I need help. I'm not doing well. And it was from that moment on that, you know, I went on to the path to recovery and I went to the doctor and, you know, received an official diagnosis, which was a relief because it was like, now I knew right. what I was dealing with and uh, that I was like, okay, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get better because this, there's no alternative here. Right. And just for our, our audience, again, if you're comfortable just working us through like the mind of, do you want to just sort of share with us a, a little sequence of an intrusive thought for you? Yeah. I mean, it's always kind of confusing when I say it out loud because it doesn't really make sense, you know, rationally. Um, right. But I had this fear um, that I was depressed and that I was going to hurt myself, but I didn't feel 
depressed. Um, but I, I think it started when I was walking past a subway station and had this thought of, oh, I could just go and jump in front of the subway. And that startled me. And I mean, I had had thoughts like that in my past, like, you know, being up on a balcony and saying, oh, I could just jump off, but it, it didn't ever disturb me, you know, and, and for whatever reason that time, it really, really disturbed me. And, um, and so I began to check in with myself, like, does that mean that I'm depressed? You know, like, uh, I would constantly check how I was feeling, like, my, what my mood was like, and um, I would look up symptoms of people that were suicidal and I would compare it to myself. So like, what are symptoms of people that are suicidal? Like they're very self-deprecating and like all this stuff. And I was like, oh, well, I'm not like that. So then I, I must not be, but then my brain would come up with something else like, oh, but you keep thinking that way. So it must mean something. Yeah. And it's so um, instantaneous. It's so fast. Yeah. And I mean, for whatever reason, and it, it's different than harm OCD, it was more around like, I needed to know if I was suicidal, I needed right. to know if I was depressed. And for whatever reason, my brain thought that those were like the worst things that you could be. Yeah. Um, that's all I would be thinking, like 24 You would enter the Google compulsion, like the Google yeah. itself became this field day for you to look up every possible scenario that you would maybe be depressed and suicidal and just an endless yeah. story, like to discover the answer to this. Yeah. This and so such important thought that you had. Mm -hmm. And a lot of um, what I was doing also at the time was trying to like do things in my life that would make me feel feel better, you know? So I was like trying different hobbies and like just anything to like get me out, but I couldn't, like nothing was working. It just kept, it just had such a strong hold on me. I also had um, like injured my neck in, in 2016 and that might have been a bit of a trigger for me because I had actually broken my C7 spine. So there was a, a lot of obsession around whether or not I was going to become paralyzed um, around that time. So that was hard because there was a bit of a, a reason. There was, it wasn't from nowhere. It was like there was exactly. A, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we, who knows what it actually, what triggered it, but um, that was for sure when things started to like go downhill for me and it just morphed into this fear of um, suicidal, uh, I, like fear, fear of, of having it, of whether it's re like, because there are people, that have thoughts of suicide yeah. and it's not an obsession. It's a desire that they have. They're thinking about it. And for you, that's like, well, is that me or not me? Is that like, yeah, the line is very not so distinct. It's like a, yeah. Yeah. It's really tough. And it's tough to explain. I find because there are a lot of people with OCD that have these thoughts. And even in the OCD community, people say, Oh, I've had those thoughts before, you know, about suicide. And I'm like, oh no, but it's not that. Yeah, it's not that. It's it's not that. So it's it's actually, more meta than that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's quite hard when even within the community sometimes it gets confused. Um, but I mean, I understand it. I I, you know, I understand how powerful the brain is and, and it attacks different things that are uh, valuable to us. Right. And so for whatever reason, my brain made up that that is the worst possible thing ever. And, um, 
it is what it is, but um, I'm on the other side of it. So <laughs> that's good news. Yeah. And, and um, in my experience, Mm-hmm. On a personal level, learning about intrusive thoughts, dealing with them myself, um, mm-hmm. the mental health education related to intrusive thoughts, I think, is sort of the next wave of understanding. I mean, just the, the mere fact, like I always recommend to every single client I work with in therapy, is to read the book "Overcoming Unwanted Intrusive Thoughts" by Sally Winston and Martin Seif. It's like it's a revelation. Like I, I never read a, a book that had such an impact because people. When they're, and again, Aaron, your, your Aaron Harvey talks mm-hmm. about this on the OCD stories that if he knew at 10 years old that there was a whole other perspective on thoughts, that you could look at thoughts in a different way than the way you are looking at them right now, it could have saved him a world of difficulty. And it's a, yeah. it's, to me, it's, a, it's such a tragedy that we don't have that particularly intrusive thoughts. There's something about it that speaks to like a deeper dimension of how we understand ourselves and what thoughts mean. And so I'm wondering on a personal level, what changed with your relationships with thoughts? What did you learn um, that was different than the way you were understanding your thoughts at the time where they were taking over your whole world? I, I remember this particular moment um, when I realized, you know, thoughts are just thoughts, you know, like they don't really mean anything. They're not factual. And when this happened, when I had that kind of distance from my thought was, I was driving in the car with my mom and um, we were having a nice time, you know, like we, the sun was shining, we were chatting and generally like if I could make like kind of assess that situation, I was feeling, you know, peaceful, like happy, all, all these emotions were happening. And then I had a thought of like an existential thought of what is the point of all of this? (laughs) Right. And it was like, wait, hold on. Like I can go into that thought and really analyze it and analyze what we're all doing here and what's the point of all this. But in this moment, like all that's happening is I'm in the car with my mom. We're driving. It's a sunny day and nothing has changed except for me having that thought. And so it was like this realization of, oh, like my thoughts can really take me down a path that's not fun. Or I can choose to just have a nice time here with my mom driving in the car. Yeah. And so that was kind of like a big, like aha moment for me, I guess you could say, because, you know, it was just like thoughts are thoughts and it's just activity in the brain that's constantly there. And because it was less threatening, that thought was a thought. It was a, it was a thought, but it didn't come with all the power and emotion that the other ones did. So you could have a little experiment and be like, oh, you can see it because you, you didn't get totally fused with it. Exactly. And then, but you were able to, that was sort of like a beginning understanding that I don't have to identify with these thoughts. I, I can have space and look at them from a different distance. Yeah. yeah and I think what was interesting about that time is my my mood, right? Like my feelings, I was in a pretty good place at that time. Whereas I think when I feel not so great, you know, if I'm having a tough day and that type of thought comes up, it's much easier to go into that thought and start, you know, really getting into it. So that's one thing I recognize up until this day is that I know on bad days that my brain is going to come up with 
more thoughts and, you know, they may not always be positive ones. And so that helps me give it space. Like, even if it feels more real because my, you know, like, cause I'm feeling a bit lower that day or whatever, I'm expecting it to happen and I can still kind of get that space from that thought, if that makes sense. Um, anticipating, you already know it. There's a story that's about to come to mind. Yeah. And it might feel more real because like, you know, I might the be The emotions are congruent with it. Exactly. And yeah. I think, I think that's with OCD. Like when there's that bit of doubt of like, oh, but you are feeling a bit like, you know, blah today or whatever and I talk about feelings because I'm so hyper aware of my own feelings which is yeah. part, part of the OCD so that might come out in that but anyhow um but yeah I can just kind of anticipate them coming and say yeah I'm not gonna listen to them it's not easy especially on those days but I can do it right and out of all the things that you've been learning about yourself and about how to how to handle these kinds of intrusive thoughts what's been the most helpful for you? Is it they're sort of anticipating that it's coming? Is it sort of naming it as a story of some kind? Yeah, I think what I do is just, I try to come back to the moment. So if I'm driving, for example, and I, you know, obviously driving, you don't have as many distractions. And so the brain can kind of go into a story. And I, yeah, I guess what I do is I recognize what's happening and I kind of come back and try and come back into my body. So I think I use a lot of mindfulness tools um, to kind of come back like, okay, I'm holding the steering wheel right now. I'm sitting, you know, I can feel my butt on the seat, look around at whatever is going on outside. So it just, again, takes me out of my head back into my body. And that's something I... I have to do, you know, almost daily. Yeah. And just to clarify for, for everybody, because I'm not sure who's listening to this, that might not have as much of an understanding of the OCD process where, you know, yes, there are people that have an obsession, an obsession that could be related to, you know, this, this is not a clean external world. And so I therefore need to reassure myself or do a compulsion that's going to get rid of that. But again, there's the internal dimension of this in the literature, you would call it pure O. Basically, for Mary Lynn, the obsession of, am I depressed? Am I suicidal? Is this a real thing? And the way that Mary Lynn will handle that or have that rumination kind of compulsion is to do as much reassurance, as much thinking as possible to get rid of the anxiety related to the thought, to have certainty. And so it's an inner process, but a lot of people have that inner process. And so it's not just something that is ritual based on the external world that we see around us. And I think that that yeah. is a new thing for people in, in the mainstream world. Yeah. And I guess I have heard people kind of make the connection of like your scrub, like, so when people are like scrubbing their hands for c- contamination, um, it's kind of like similar to mental uh, compulsions. It's like, I am, you know, scrubbing my brain in a way by doing all this research and by kind of cleaning my thought process and saying like, we need to get rid of this thought. And uh, in doing that, that's where all of the research and all of the checking, mental checking, how am I feeling? What are my characteristics? Um, Do I have a similar characteristic to someone that's suicidal? So it's almost like I don't like that thought. It's like a dirty thought and I need to get rid of it and clean it away. So it's all a similar pattern. It's just, uh, we all kind of 
um, react to it differently. Right. Whether it's internal or external, there's a similar type of cleaning that you're trying to do um, yeah. to get, get back to the equilibrium. Whatever that is. Whatever you know? that is. <laughs> and it's often like, for me, it's a feeling, right? Like I, I just get a certain feeling of, okay, I, you know, for whatever reason that. It's ready. It's enough. That's enough. This thought plus that thought plus this thought and that thought in combination will do the trick. Yeah. Until. It doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, that's the, and that's the trick. Yeah. And I think that for people, like for us with the intrusive thoughts, we carry our mind with us everywhere. And so that makes it really difficult. Um, so thank you for sharing that. And let's go into Made of Millions for a second. Very briefly, if you want to just share with us what it is and maybe what's the most meaningful experience that you've had working at Made of Millions. Yeah. So, um, so Made of Millions is a mental health uh, not-for-profit um, and it was founded in New York City uh, by an individual named Aaron Harvey. Um, and Aaron, you know, before he founded Made of Millions, just to give the audience context, um, was creating a lot of content alongside his team um, around uh, intrusive thoughts. Um, and so he was creating a lot of very relatable um, content uh, for the OCD community, which is how I came across them. Um, and then he decided, you know what, there's um, so much uh, com comorbidity uh, with OCD, you know, like a lot of people also experience depression and various other mental health issues. And so he thought, let's, you know, broaden out our mission here. Um, and so it was when he decided to, to broaden the focus that I, you know, got in touch and said, you know, I really want to do some stuff here in Canada, similar to what you're doing. And we decided to partner and kind of bring um, the initiatives in the U.S. over to Canada. I mean, ultimately, the, the end goal is we are trying to kind of change how the world perceives mental health. I mean, that's kind of our broader mission. And um, in doing that, you know, there's a lot of education that is involved. Um, so madeofmillions.com is our online platform where we have a number of um, articles written by the community, uh, kind of really empowering people with mental health conditions to share their own story. And in doing that, ultimately, you know, it helps in their recovery journey. Um, there's also a lot of information just on symptoms and symptomology on various mental health uh, issues. And one of the, I guess, biggest differentiating things with Made of Millions compared to other resources out there is um, the team behind Made of Millions is actually uh, also has had experience working in the creative world. So for creative agencies. And so all of the content is designed and curated in a way that's very digestible, not clinical in nature. And so we actually reach, I think, around 3 million people across the world each year um, just by coming to our site and, and looking for information on either their own symptoms or symptoms of others. And we also have a lot of video content. So again, just really uh, relatable, digestible information. Um, and then we also are starting to do some stuff in the workplace. Um, so we believe that, you know, with the lack of mental health literacy out there, meaning a lot of people just don't have the knowledge around mental health, in, like 
I'm sure you and I included when we were younger, right? Like we didn't know much about mental health intrusive thoughts, what have you. And so, you know, I know things are changing in the school system, but we really see like the workplace as another opportunity to really educate the workforce, the North American workforce, starting off here at least in what is the mental health situation right now? Like, why are we in a crisis and, and what that looks like and what symptoms look like? And early intervention is, is important in all of this. Preventative. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so that's, you know, one of our main focuses right now is really working with our expert advisory boards, various clinicians across the board, DNI experts, advocates to create content and a mental health curriculum for the for the workforce. So I would say overall, it's highly like education based, um, but creating it in a way that is, again, very digestible and relatable. Um, and like visually appealing and, you know, the design yeah, and the... Exactly. And I think, you know, like a lot of people's experience, at least um, my own, you know, initially when I was looking up stuff around like um, what I was experiencing, you do come across very kind of clinical in nature. Like you see OCD is not, you know, it's not um, curable and like all of this stuff that's really very just, fatalistic. Yeah. And, um, and like not full of hope. Exactly. Or these forums, you come across these forums. Oh my gosh. I spent so much time on forums that <laughs> were really not helpful. Right. Um, and really scary, actually. And so, so yeah, so we're trying to, to kind of fill that gap of, um, of limited uh, resources out there. Right. So when people are researching, because they don't know what's going on, they reach made of millions. And that's sort of a lifeboat of some kind or a starting point on the mental health journey. And I was going to ask you, the last thing was just the most meaningful sort of interaction or experience you've had working with made of millions that really solidified. This is, this is really how I want to be spending my time. I um, actually wrote my own personal story and published it on, on our site. And that was really hard to do because, you know, like it's written down, like it's not going anywhere and it's out for the world. And I have had so many people from around the world write me after that and up until this day I think we published it a couple of years ago um, they write me and they say you know because of you I'm going to therapy tomorrow because of you I now know I have OCD when you read these messages it's just it's amazing that this has reached that many people it's amazing when I hear where they are like contacting me from like in India and Pakistan and Australia and I mean Slovakia and I've I've made friends you know I got invited one of the girls that reached out to me she's in Slovakia and I got invited to her wedding this year because <laughs> we created a dialogue and and it's not my article in, in particular it's the power of the internet for good in that case and taking what you know Aaron's initial idea of like trying to figure out a way to create a community where you know people feel um connected uh with like-minded people that are going through something similar and then aside from that you know before the pandemic we partnered with shopify um mm. and we uh, hosted a number of events in the last year and a half 
and that also you know kind of I had those moments where we'd have a full a full house of you know 150 people in the room and sometimes sold out even I mean they were free events but sold out in terms of capacity and it's just this realization of like people want to hear about this content you know like people want to learn more whether they're going through their own experience or they work in hr and they you know realize that this is like a something that they really need to tackle in their own workplaces or having a family member that um is suffering and so i just know that there's a not only a need for it but there's also the demand for it as well and again you are giving one example of a whole made of millions.com of people doing these things where it's your your voice and your thoughts and your experience is really tangibly impacting the life trajectory of other people and moving them in more positive directions. Exactly. And it's just it's and it's just random people that you've never interacted with that have been touched and affected by by just your openness. Yeah. Um, and I mean and yeah. yeah, like you said you think about all of the articles that are on there, all of the right. editorial and then those people that have written their story and then they're also receiving all those messages. And so it's just creating this beautiful community where we're all helping each other out. And as a therapist and working in this field, I, I, I think there's of course something invaluable. Therapy is its own value, but this mental health education, getting it out of the, just that only certain select people have access to it and understanding this is a big change that we need to see. It's not to try and undermine the therapy industry. Um, We think that they're complementary, but to me, it's just, that's what makes me the most sad. I think that people don't have access to education. Uh, Education is is power. And there's been a lot of millions and billions of dollars that have gone into mental health research and we should be making it more accessible. And I do want to actually just reiterate that we really see Made of Millions as kind of like a soft landing yeah. for people to, when they're on those long wait lists or when they're in countries like India and they don't have access to therapy, we see this as at least a start, right? And so it's definitely not to replace therapy by any means, but just to have people be able to access something for free. Um, all of our content is free um, while they're waiting for hopefully more, you know, clinical kind of um, therapy as well. For sure. But to me, they're two separate issues. Therapy is therapy. Education is education. And it's just, I'm so thankful that there are initiatives like this going on where mental health education is, is leaving the sort of the, the hidden worlds and, and people are learning about it and understanding it as just like they're learning about science. So that's just what it's amazing. And so thank you for sharing all of that. And of course, just continued success for, for Made of Billions and, and what they're up to. And let's move into the change talk. And before we move on to the change talk, have you lost track of the hours you lose browsing and scrolling? Most of us have a hard time answering that question truthfully. Our suggestion, utilize technology to help conquer technology. FocusMe is the productivity app that forces you to focus. The fully customizable tool blocks digital temptations, giving you countless hours of your life back by blocking selected keyword searches, desktop apps, and websites. The best part about it? It is unbeatable, uncheatable, unworkaroundable. I personally have been using it successfully for almost two years now. To join me, Go to focusme.com slash change talk for a 20% discount off your first payment. And if you are a student, go to focusme 
dot com slash request dash educational dash discount to request an additional 30% off your first purchase. And now on to the change talk. So talk to me a little bit about something that you're thinking about changing. So, I mean, I guess I've touched on this a little bit, um, but one thing that, that I try to change on a daily basis is just um, coming back to the present moment and living mindfully. I think that this is ultimately um, my main goal in life and it will be until I'm no longer here. Um, but because I do have quite an active mind, uh, it is very easy for me to um, spend a lot of time in my head in a positive or negative way, right? Like sometimes, you know, I can be just thinking about brainstorming work stuff, which, which, is, which is great, but it also takes me away from what I might be doing at the time. So especially recently, because I do find I am living more in my head recently uh, with, with what's going on. I'm not being exposed to as many new things uh, because we're in this pandemic. And so um, my, my mind isn't being you know, necessarily stimulated as much as I'm used to. And so I can get caught up in trying to entertain myself in my head. And uh, that's not how I want to live my life, you know? So this is sort of like the big, you know, if you look at like a big chart, it's like the big circle says like be present. And this is a big thing that you're experiencing. Maybe just work me through a time, a, a moment recently where you just noticed this. Okay. So I walk every day cause I have a dog and um, you know, it's fall right now. And so it's quite nice out, you know, looking at all the trees and stuff, but I've noticed I just haven't been enjoying my walks and I realized the other day it's because on my walks I'm just thinking about what I have to do in my day like what I have to do when I go home and so I'm I'm rushing my walks like I'm like okay like my dog's name is Chloe so it's like okay Chloe Chloe, like, Chloe let's go do your business like <laughs> we got to get back home I got to do this this and this and um yeah and that's not fun. You know, like it's not a nice feeling. I've constantly then feel, and even when I'm doing something, it's like, I'm thinking about the next thing I need to do. Or even when I'm cooking, it's like, I'm just like trying to get it. Like everything is just rushed right now. Um, because I'm on my own a lot right now, it can be exhausting. Yeah. Just like constantly like being in my head. Um, even though it's not around, OCD stuff. It's still, it's still in my head, you know, it's the human thing. Mm -hmm. So where are you rushing to? Like where, cause I I know that everybody experiences this. Like I'm always rushing. I'm always on in a race somewhere, but like where, yeah. And and I feel like this after I play like sports, I play hockey Mm -hmm. and I come out of the stadium. I've I've been like moving and running and pacing and sweating. And then I come out, I'm like, I'm rushing everywhere. Where am I going? Yeah, it's true. And I remember, um, so I used to live in Barbados, the island in the Caribbean. My family's from there originally. And I remember when I I was living there in my 20s and I came back to Toronto in 2012. And I remember being at Union Station, so like our city centre subway stations. And and like going against the crowd for some reason, I must've been going, I don't know, anyhow. And everyone was just rushing. And I was like, where are they going? Like, <laughs> I don't wanna, I don't wanna live like that. 
I can feel I'm not, I'm not like at peace. Peace is something that I always, I don't care about happiness. Happiness is fleeting, but like peace is something I'm always striving for. And what that feels like to me is just being, just existing without noise. So you're walking the dog. Yeah. So this morning when I went out for a walk, and maybe it was because I knew I was coming on to talk to you, but I had such a nice walk, you know, like I, um, I was just, I don't, I didn't do anything different other than like not, I just was walking and enjoying the, the air and like, you know, kind of practicing some mindfulness tools I, I have uh, picked up over the years and we were out for longer. I noticed how happy my dog was. I let her off the leash in the park and the whole experience was just nice. And I just find that when that happens, there's just so much more clarity um, and productivity in my day, which is funny enough, you know? Well, it's because when there's less pressure on something that should be a break, it can be a break. And then that's more fuel for later. Yeah. Yeah. Another example, um, kind of personal example, but I'll share it. I was on a socially distanced uh, date on <laughs> I love Sunday. how you have to say like the socially distanced part. <laughs> Justify our <laughs> behaviors. Um, <laughs> and we were having a great time. Like everything was good. Conversation was great. I had talked to him on, um, on the phone uh, before that. And I just, in my head, I was like, I need to get out of this situation. I need to end this. Like, it's going so well, I just need to end it now, you know? And I got in my head about it. And then I went home and it was like, oh, like I just totally ruined, not ruined it, but I mean, I, I let my thoughts kind of get in the way instead of just continuing to be in that moment and, and letting things go with the flow. Yeah, it was going well. And that was like uncomfortable, like that it was going well. Like the mind just like, let's move. Like, yeah, like we got to go do errands now. Like that was good. That one, well, check mark, like <laughs> let's go and- uh, good, good business meeting. Yeah, like that was great. Well, I'll see you again. Uh, I got to go and do grocery shopping. Right. And so, and that was like a Sunday afternoon. Like why did I need to <laughs> right. go and do grocery shopping? Right. So that's another example of just sort of being in a moment and then the mind either racing you to the next thing or just not being comfortable staying there. It's, it's got to move to the, got to move, got to go, got to, yeah, got to like just get, get the rest of the flow of the day going or. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that that's a very common thing that we all experience trying to, to live in the present. And what about it? I think I'm, I sort of alluded to it a little bit but what about it about that experience of being able to get away from the moment is sort of is a nice like escape well nothing nothing's good about it that's that's the thing and i i recognize that because of doing this for a period of time and and feeling kind of icky you know i don't know how, to, how else to explain it but i think what ends up happening in those moments where i do feel like i need to rush that walk or i need to rush that um you know uh date situation or whatever is there, like you said, there's a certain feeling going on that I'm uncomfortable with, whether it's boredom, whether it's um, anxiety, like boredom, meaning I'm on a walk and I'm kind of bored because I'm not really getting stimulated much by my surroundings or I'm on that date and 
I'm starting to feel anxious because what if what if we stop running out of things to talk about and what if the connection stops like yeah what if the connect the connection's strong like I don't I want to leave on a good note like yeah. get me out so it's almost like this I think avoidance of of feeling and just uh, being able to feel different things without um, or chasing a feeling. It could also be chasing a feeling, which I think sometimes is the case for me where I want to get rid of the walk because I want to come home and I want to work on, say, a project that's yeah. I'm going to get a reward after I finish it. Or I want to go on the walk so that I can come home and like have my evening nighttime um, TV time because that's like a reward. So yeah. it's like rushing things to get something that feels satisfying. Yes. So then you just mentioned a couple of things. One of them is the desire to finish whatever you were doing that isn't as exciting or entertaining as the next thing. So it's to get to the reward. That's one thing. So I want to move away as fast as possible from the walk so I can get back faster so I could get to the rest mm -hmm. of the routine finished so that later I could enjoy. So it's that escape to the positive feeling kind of thing. But then there's also not wanting to deal with the uncomfortability, whatever the uncomfortability is in that particular situation whether yeah. it's not wanting to be bored, not wanting to feel anxious because the conversation ended in a bad way. And then now I'm going to, I'm going to have to think in about how it went and what could have been done differently. <laughs> yeah. That's not totally. worth it. Like, yeah, let's end on a good note so that, but then I'm going to think about how I ended it on a good note too fast. And yeah, but I won't think about that one as much as the other alternatives. So just like, how did I screw it up? Like what happened? Yeah. Yeah. So wanting yeah. to avoid that. Yeah. And I think the whole like idea with mindfulness is not judging something as good or bad. So um, as soon as you put kind of a label around something good, then you are going to be constantly trying to get that, whether it's a feeling or whatever it is. And if you put a label around something that's bad, then you're going to constantly try and avoid that. So. I recognize that, you know, that's what's happening is I'm trying to get that good feeling or that satisfaction or trying to avoid these other things, which is what's taking me out of the moment. Right. The challenge is then how do you, how do you change that? Yeah. How do you stay? Mm -hmm. How do you stay put? But, but even before that, I would say on a more fundamental level, the mindfulness, because it's really hard to control the, the label that we put. It's more just the noticing of it and then the continuing to go back to whatever you were doing. So it's like, yep, I'm, my mind's going to create a story about how I'm bored. Let's get moving. Or I better end this conversation before it goes wrong. Yeah. It's how am I going to react to those judgments? Yeah, for sure. And so you'll follow sort of what it tells you to do kind of. So it'll mm -hmm. tell you to rush. So I'll rush. It'll tell you to end the, the date. It'll, so I'll end it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's in my nature, you know, that, I, I like to get a lot of things done and, you know, kind of be productive. Um, and so I can easily go into that, that place, but it's not even robotic because I'm very like aware of what's happening. It's just, it's not fun because it's almost, it would be better if I was robotic because then I wouldn't be like, you know, thinking about what I have to do next. Um, I, I will say like when I'm around people, like when I'm in social uh, situations, uh, I am quite mindful and I am very present. 
Um, and that's something that, you know, I've, I've worked on uh, over the years. And so I think I've, especially now more so because I, you know, I, I don't see people as often given the circumstances. And so when I do, it's like very much like I'm here with you, you right hold now. Hold on to it and enjoy it and be there. Exactly. But it's outside of that when I have that alone time where um, I can really, you know, Leap not away. be in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, but you mentioned because you value a lot, sort of that commitment to work and commitment to product productivity, it's that it, making those moves to kind of rush represents that in, in some way, even though you mentioned already that it doesn't make you more productive. It just no. takes you away from a moment you could have enjoyed in a different way. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. And, and even when you're, when I'm doing work and I'm working on one thing and then I'm thinking of the next thing I have to do, like, then it just takes so much longer to do the one thing that I'm already working on. Right. <laughs> so. right. And it's, it's hard for everybody to, to be able to sort of change that sequence. So what about it? Do you want to change? Um, why would things be better for you if you were able to just go for a walk and that it be kind of more than of a walk than a, than a rush to get back to whatever you were doing before? Well, I mean, because I have experienced times when I am able to be in the present more and ultimately I think that is how I want to live my life, just to be able to enjoy what is at the time and to exist um, and just to fully be in everything I am doing like to give my energy to what I'm doing at that moment. And there's just so much more clarity um, that comes from that. I, I have in the past picked, picked up hobbies like, you know, um, working with furniture and, and different things like using my hands a lot because I do find those activities were forced to, you know, are very meditative in the sense where you're kind of like, I'm, if I'm like sanding a, a, table or something like sanding down a table or painting something, you know, automatically those activities get me in the moment. And, and I love that meditative state. Right. So if I can incorporate that into things like walking my dog or, you know, working on a project and just being focused on that project or uh, cooking and just cooking, you know, um, and smelling the different scents that are, that are happening and, you know, enjoying how I'm chopping up a vegetable, like just all of these different things that when you're in the moment, like the appreciation for what you're doing is, can be so, such a beautiful thing. Like, again, when I, when I have this thought of all I have is this moment and I, I really take that in, I become so much more connected to like even right now like all we have is this moment it's like automatically like the the value of this conversation is so much stronger it's um more meaningful you know it there's just so much more uh, appreciation a richness yeah exactly like even when you said that it it was a helpful thing yeah exactly so i i like to say that sometimes to myself or even to the person, so to someone I'm speaking to, because it, again, just... Sets the tone. Yeah. This is it right now. Like, this, this is, is it. This is where you are. Yeah. And I think that we have this tendency to sort of deem things insignificant 
So when you're saying this is the moment, you're increasing that gratitude. You've linked sort of being present and being grateful as, as two things because you're recognizing the world around you and you're not being in this moment as a means to the end to getting to the next place. Yeah. Because yeah. the next place is important, but we often like delegate, like whether it's washing dishes, that it's, a, it's just sort of a filler time or like mm-hmm. people don't have... Um, as Cal Newport says in his, in his work on digital minimalism, that people don't have a lot of solitude defined as having moments where they're not getting input from other content or other minds. And it's very hard. It's, it's very hard today, but you're talking about something where instead of just running past places, because I have to go to the next thing, because that thing is more important than this conversation, than washing the dishes, than the conversation with the person than mm-hmm. walking the dog. It's just those moments are just means to something far greater, this great mm-hmm. moment that's coming. But then you go to that next thing and you're doing that again with the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And so it's a bad cycle. Whereas if, you know, from my experience coming back to the moment, you have that, there's this certain feeling of like, again, appreciation for each of those moments and and one isn't better than the other. It just is what it is in each of those moments. And it's, you know, usually quite pleasant as opposed to not experiencing at all because you're too busy on to the next thing. Because you're in the race. Yeah. And so part of what you want to do is not, engage in the response when the race when the the racy sort of thoughts come up and the sort of urges come in to sort of like move and run can't really control that but you just don't want to let that dictate how you live your life after you want to notice it and then like come back and maybe like you were mentioning when there's a there's a sort of a spiral going on in your head and that's why i think the work of ocd work even though it's a separate Thing, it's a really a way of living life because everybody gets caught up in thoughts. And so you were saying, when I do that, I'm, I'm feeling, sensing the world around me in some way. I'm touching, feeling, looking around. And, and so while you're washing dishes, there's so many things going on. Or while you're making food, there's so many things going on. Or walking your dog, there's tons of people around. There's noises, there's, a, there's, a, there's trees, there's colors, there's the, your dog, this living thing that you're caring for. There's so many things to, to put your attention on. Yeah. Um, that aren't the rush urge plus thought to go back and do whatever it is that you were doing. Yeah. Yeah. And I imagine people experience it in a different way where it's not the racing thoughts and like all of this, I need to do, I need to do, but the opposite of like more of a, like, I don't know what the right word is, but where life is just passing by and um, kind of not doing and not, um, feeling and you know the opposite end of of the spectrum which is ultimately the same thing right you're just not being here going through the motions you know and um without really it's like when you when people say about the driving the car and then you're like how did i get here it's like right yeah going through life that way and I mean, you know, I have a nephew that just turned 16 yesterday and it's like, how wow. did we get here? You know, like he's so old, but again, all we have is this moment. And, you know, I miss those times when he was just a little toddler and he was adorable. And it's like, 
but I have other nephews and nieces that are toddlers right now. And so it just made me think all we have is this moment with them right now at this age and him at 16 and like, you know, so we can't go back to the past or anything like that or um, anticipate what's going to happen in the future. And, and we all know this and we hear this stuff all the time, but um, hopefully if we realize it more and more, we can actually start living more mindfully. Cause we talk about it all the time. Um, and then it becomes like this unpresent thing that I need to be present. It becomes like a, Mm-hmm. another thing that you need to do or practice yeah so clearly implementing this just represents seeing life not just as a means to an end seeing more richness around you um, accessing more dimensions of gratitude not running all these things are really positive things for you yeah just generally being more comfortable with feelings and situations whether they're positive negative tough, easy, just um, being more comfortable with, with them all and accepting them all. And um, yeah, ultimately being more present. Yeah. And I like that you link the gratitude piece. So going forward, if you were to sort of take a piece of this big picture and what is one thing that you want to do a, a little bit differently that represents a movement towards this broader dimension of I want to be more present? Um, good question. I mean, I do know meditation is something that kind of uh, further supports the ability to be more mindful without so much work. Um, but a meditation practice is something that is hard to do. And if I say I'm going to start meditating tomorrow for the next few years, it's going to be a big lie. Um, and that's what we're not going for here. Yeah, exactly. Um, But I think, you know, just like I did on my walk this morning, like how, like you said, with OCD, this kind of all that therapy and all that training I got with recognizing thoughts as they are and coming back to the moment and all of that, like just being able to put that into practice on a day-to-day basis. Um, I mean, the biggest thing is recognizing where, where you are, right? And I recognize right now that I am not being as present as I'd like to be. And so that's the first thing I've done. And now it's, again, taking all the tools I've learned where I can recognize, okay, you're not being in this moment, you're thinking about the next thing and coming back to whatever it is I'm doing. So uh, I guess just calling myself out on it more and, um, ultimately continuing to, to try and come back to the present moment. And, and the motivation for all of it is I know I'll be a much more productive, happier, peaceful um, person overall for myself and for everyone around me. Right. Um, even though the doing, doing, doing feels like that M- will. The most important. Yeah. And you won't lose any of that part of you. You'll just gain another Yeah, part. exactly. And so that's, a, again, that big sort of life practice. And when I think of something like, do you, are you open to a, a sort of thought or a suggestion I have related oh, to Oh, yeah, for sure. So even because I really try to get change talks to be sort of very implementable, it's like, what if you set, uh, you, maybe you already do this, but what if you set an alarm um, twice a day that just told you what that mantra that you like to say? It, the, the goal of that is to get you back 
to, to, to the place. Yeah, for sure. I think that makes sense because sometimes we can't, we can't recognize that we're caught yeah. up in everything. So is, is that realistic? You think that you'll set uh, a reminder up or something like that that just says? Yeah, I think I can definitely do that and, and see how it goes. Um, yeah, especially like I said, because we are kind of in Groundhog Day right now yeah. with, with the pandemic. Um, yeah, like just having that reminder, I think is key. And also um, just being a bit more creative with, with my time as well so that I can't, because I do think it is a tough time. And I do think that our brains, you know, obviously with all the distractions these days, good or bad, it is a reality, right? And so our brains potentially do need to be more stimulated than maybe they would have in the past. I'm not sure, but right, we can be creative and coming up with different things to do in the present to create that stimulation. And so um, another thing that I have been doing and I would like to continue to do is just like a lot more cooking and um, experimenting with new recipes. So yeah, I guess also in addition to like setting an alarm, uh, creating some small hobbies, I call cooking a hobby, but it's a necessity. Right. So you've, you have, you're thinking about other ways that, that you're going to take this and hopefully it'll impact the walk and going on dates and all the other stuff. But, but most fundamentally, it's maybe I'll set a couple of reminders for myself that sort of encapsulates this, this need to be in the present. And, yeah. and hopefully that can make a small impact. And for anybody else who wants to set sort of a similar thing on their phone um, in the words that speak to them. Yeah, I, I think that's fair because like for whatever reason, that one phrase works for me, but I think it's going to be different for everybody. You know, what really resonates with people. And I feel like I've heard that in the past and it didn't resonate with me. And then all of a sudden it did. And um, so. And at the end of every episode, I have people say sort of to sum up their change talk in a mantra or an image, and you've already come up with the mantra. Mm-hmm. So yeah, all we have is this moment. This is this is <laughs> this is the words of Mary Lynn. Yeah. So thank you so much for coming on, sharing us everything that's going on, both on a personal level, on a professional level, with uh, Made of Millions and all the work that you're doing, and hope for continued success. And thank you again for sharing your change talk, and hopefully what you've talked about here can in some small way inspire other people who are going through similar uh, thoughts about change. Thank thank you. you. Thanks for having me. Don't forget to follow us on social media to keep updated on all our content. We are at change talk podcast on Instagram and Facebook and at Change Talk Pod on Twitter. Editing for this podcast is done by the lovely Atara Shields Tile. Music and theme song by Hope and Social in their album Yorkshire Electric EP with the song People Change. <laughs>